welcome and thank you everyone who's already tuning in for the latest innovation form webinar for this one what we'll be looking at is the pathway to nature positive business definitions measurements and targets um, my name is tanya richard and i have the pleasure of moderating the session today for the next hour or so, we have quite an ambitious um, amount of things that we want to get through and important parts that we want to talk about. Various parts like how do we define nature positive, nature zero, how do we manage it, how do we manage the process, how do we set targets around it, what are some leading initiatives out there already within that sphere, how do we work together within you know, the people that are here for this webinar, but then otherwise people that maybe not do not engage as easily on this topic. Um, so various parts that we want to get through. It is my pleasure to be joined by four fantastic speakers. We're joined by Gus Martin, Head of Sustainability and Strategic Projects at Golden Agri Resources, John Buchanan, Vice President, Sustainable Production at Conservation International, Connor McMahon, Global Net Zero and Nature Lead at, Net Zero at Nestle, and Lorraine Davies, Global Sustainability Manager, Land and Biodiversity at GSK. Let's get right into it. Maybe I turn to you first, Pat Guts. Gar is obviously partnering with us on this important webinar and, and a true thank you to you for, for hosting this discussion. Maybe to, to preface, why is it important for you um, or why did you want to host this sort of conversation? And then also to go straight into, as Gar, a land manager, how are you approaching nature and your nature strategies um, at the company? We are an agribusiness company, Golden Agri. We are a large palm oil business and um... Uh, we have been, I think, like everybody else, very much focusing on climate in the past two, three years. And now suddenly this new thing comes up, nature. Um, and, and so we know for sure as an agribusiness company, with, we deal with nature every day. Um, it, it, is, it is the key resource for our uh, production. Um, but I think we have not yet grasped what we really need to do where we do we need to invest to make sure that nature also in the very long term um, uh, is, is providing uh, environmental services and these resources to us. And so we wanted to convey this uh, conserva uh, con con conserva uh, conversation here yeah, uh, to, to you know, exchange thoughts, enable some cross-learning between different uh, industrial sectors because I think at least in the area, in, in the region where, where I live and where I work, um, nature has not yet been on the radar of the discussions, right? I think here, you know, maybe we are a bit behind Europe and North America, but we are essentially just arriving in the climate discussion. Um, but actually we need to um, think beyond that and leave the, the climate carbon tunnel and, and look more holistically into nature. And so we hope, you know, that we can help to have this discussion uh, cross-learn and maybe, you know, then even find some interesting collaboration opportunities and partnerships afterwards. What, what is GAR doing with nature at the moment? So essentially, you know, I'm sure everybody who has been in the sustainability space since a while uh, knows that the palm oil industry has been one uh, which was, you know, kind of pushed uh, into... Uh, certain directions in the long uh, time. And then so for sure, one of our cornerstones is really to stop deforestation, right? I think we have stopped deforestation in our own plantation since a very long time. And now uh, this is being rolled out uh, to the entire supply chain also since a while, but it's still work in progress, but now with a very specific 
target to end deforestation by uh, 2025. At the very latest, GAR is a, is a, a signee of the uh, 1.5 uh, agribusiness uh, roadmap. And so, and so deforest, stop deforestation is one cornerstone. And then on the other side, for sure, as I mentioned before, the company understands that nature is really critical for our production, right? Palm oil or any of the other crops we are sourcing and processing is, is growing in greenhouses. So, so we, need, we need nature to provide us uh, the soil uh, as a growth medium, you know, the, the, the forest to, to make rain, to, to host uh, um, antagonists, to pests, et cetera, et cetera. So this is understood. But for sure, I think in the past, um, a lot of these services were provided by free or are still provided by free, right? And so kind of now turning the mindset into a discussion that nature has a, has a very high value, a tangible value, a quantitative value, I think this is still something we are currently uh, trying to work out. Thank you, Pekka. It's a lot of parts that we're, we're trying to get through today. You know, how, where do we invest? Um, looking at different aspects such as soil forests, what goes into a, land, a nature strategy? And then, yeah, what does baseline look like? Um, how, how do we define this? And how do we put a value to nature? Um, all big questions. Um, with all of the work that you're doing, how within the business, yeah. Edgar, are you aligning with your operational needs, the way as a company you're set up? How does that work internally with this nature strategy? And then going yeah. further than that, how are you translating that work um, to those key actors on the ground, the ones that are trying to implement this? You know, I want to be quite honest here. It's it's not it's not always easy discussions, right? I think I think maybe just to set the context, you know, an agribusiness company, a for-profit company in the past, you know. Agribusiness makes money in utilizing all area which is available for production. And many, many years back when the palm oil industry started, that was essentially your entire license area, right? And so now, you know, new concepts are arising, the right concepts are arising, you know, HCS, HCV, etc., etc. And so now this area is becoming smaller and smaller. And so for sure, what, 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 Agribusinesses need to do actors is to is to align now production targets and add additional KPIs to the farmers, uh, which are not just production related, right? Um, so so I think this is this is the challenge, right? On the other side, what is what is quite interesting is for sure if if you do nowadays a greenfield investment, let's say a new a new development, it is relatively easy because you can design your your plantation in a way by going through all these best practices and so you know what to deal with what our challenge is is that how do you apply new developments uh, new regulatory frameworks on an existing plantation that 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 is the challenge right what we are what we are therefore trying to do internally is to really seek opportunities where a better focus on nature is, is from a business perspective, a no-brainer, yeah? Let's say a, a simple example is the use of waste biomass, right? In, in the very early days, the waste biomass was in a worst case, simply incinerated. Today, we are producing compost and bring that back to the plantation, which improves, you know, soil carbon, uh, improves the soil texture, uh, allows a lot of microorganisms to thrive within the soil. And then as a result, makes the soil you know, more healthy, more productive in the long term. And another example is 
we are running two peatlands and uh, two mangrove rehabilitation projects at the moment. And so there is also a clear, so if you have a mangrove forest in front of your refinery, there is a much lower flood risk than if you have no mangrove forest. And, and, so, and so we are trying to make these cases, which are really essentially, um, um, you know, no brainers from a, from a financial point of view. And then we are seeking opportunities left and right to that to add uh, additional value. But I think obviously now that for us, the key question is really, you know, how do we do this in a more, in a more, in a more strategic way? I think one, one thing which we have been looking in, and, and I think what we are quite um, interested to explore much more is, is, is nature capital accounting and also how that could be integrated into, you know, uh, the, the valuation of the, of the company so that you can really justify, justify, um, you know, making investments in nature, um, while at the same time potentially let go on some of your uh, production targets. Really great. I can imagine like this has set up the conversation quite well because when I turn to the three other speakers, there'll be a lot of, um, I think a lot of agreement and complementing points. So thank you very much, Buckets. Um, I'm turning to you, Connor. Um, at Nestle, what are you focusing on at the moment? Is it nature? Is it that carbon lens that Buckets just mentioned? And what practical steps are you taking within the company to measure, manage this work and your impact on, on biodiversity? So yeah, I think I'm definitely one of the culprits of driving this kind of carbon-centric view for the last couple of years. Um, we launched our Net Zero Roadmap back in 2020. Um, and since then, um, we've been pushing um, that ambition across our value chain and, and asking our suppliers to deliver um, carbon benefits, whether they be emissions reductions or remo removals opportunities off-farm. So we've really been banging that drum. When we first released our Net Zero Roadmap, it wasn't intentionally just meant to be a climate roadmap, right? It has the backbone of a nature roadmap in there. It has all the core components of a nature roadmap, right? It has the commitments for deforestation free, right? It has commitments for switching existing agricultural land into more regenerative agricultural systems. It has a section in there in terms of kind of restoration of, of degraded lands back to some sort of natural state. So it was always intended to be something that was driving action beyond just the carbon centric lens but when we actually when the rubber hit the road let's say the carbon was the thing that we wanted fastest because science-based targets initiative was released we understood the the rules of the game we had a commitment to reduce our emissions so we just started there the good news is is that things are quickly changing and i think i can repent for some of my sins of the past just looking at climate and, and start pushing this broader holistic nature view because the frameworks are changing because um well, we know that we're going to have to disclose on nature in the future. We know that TNFD is has been drafted, the Task Force for Nature-Related Disclosures. We know that there's targets coming with SBTN, the science-based targets for nature. So all of these building blocks within the framework of climate that drove big corporate attention and action on climate is coming very quickly for nature. So that's super exciting. I think internally, I think there's probably two levels of action that are happening. And my biggest challenge at the moment is connecting those two. So at one, at one level is looking at our kind of corporate efforts on nature, right? What's going to be our commitment on nature? How are we going to word that? What does that mean in practice, right? We have to set deforestation and conversion-free targets. What does that mean in practice, right? We have to reduce our absolute agricultural land area. We still want to grow as a business. Is that practical? What does that mean in practice? And um, we want to start partnering within these high-risk landscapes um, to make them more sustainable in the long term and improve the ecoregion integrity of those landscapes. 
we have 15 landscape initiatives and that takes a lot of work managing how many landscapes is is enough right we buy from many many more landscapes right so we have great discussions let's say internally in terms of what these additional nature commitments might mean in practice and what's covered with existing activities versus what's going to be incremental and what that means in terms of resource and and costs so these are great discussions at a corporate level but that feels very disconnected from what we do at more of a project level where we partner with some of our suppliers on specific projects like restoration of peatland or a landscape initiative or regenerative agricultural practices where it's much more looking at how do we change specific actions or activities on the ground and how do we monitor improvements in terms of biodiversity or water or or, or living income etc all of these different elements um and I think we're making great progress on both fronts, but I really don't see the connectivity between the progress we're making on the projects and the real actions on the ground and how that rolls up to the corporate commitments that we're trying to set. Um, so yeah, we're going to continue to advance on both levels, but I think that's a really interesting discussion is how do we connect those to the, the real actions and the investment happening on the ground to that corporate disclosure and commitments that we're all um, looking to frame at the moment. Thank you, Connor. I wonder if, um, similar to Pack Guts, if you had like, with, I mean, you mentioned you were operating in so many different spaces and so many different commodities and different landscapes. Do you, what is, what are those um, no-brainers that um, how uh, Pack Guts mentioned it to Nestle, the ones that are, you know, easy to focus on from the start and may make immediate business sense for, for Nestle? Yeah, it's it's difficult, right? The immediate business sense is, is a difficult one, right? Because we, we too recognize that we rely on nature to produce the ingredients that we use in our products. And we know that we have physical risk in our sourcing in many commodities in many parts of the world. And we are starting to model that, right? Which which crops have which risks in which landscapes and what could be the financial implications of, of that in the future. And this is all great, right? But these are potential future costs. These aren't costs today. So it's it's very difficult sometimes to argue for real investment today that hits your bottom line for avoided potential costs in the future. I think we're we're still figuring a way a way through that. Um, I think what we are doing well is we we did commit to invest, right? We did commit to bring money to this discussion and act. We put three point two billion on the table with our net zero roadmap, and we're trying to support projects with our suppliers in our sourcing landscapes with that. It sounds like a big number, but once you look at how many things we're sourcing from lots of locations, quite quickly that number <laughs> gets spent, right? And then what I'm trying to think about now is how how we can make that money go further or how much more money we can put on the table, right? How can we find co-financing? How can we um, look at more cost-effective uh, kind of MRV pro so the projects can become more effective, right? There's lots of uh, interesting things there, but it, honestly, at the moment, to make the case that we should invest in this project for nature and make that kind of acceptable to the business, it's quite challenging at the moment. We're really trying to find a way, whether that be quantifying physical risks or um, valuing natural capital. There's lots of different mechanisms we could do to bring the, the value that nature brings into the value of the company, but it's not there yet. The, the finance team don't quite recognize those assets yet. No, thank you. And maybe just one more follow up in in all of your complex and diverse landscapes. Um, I'm sure navigating those is quite complicated, like we've just mentioned. Is there sort of, I mean, no, none of these are homogeneous landscapes, but is there like a a, a three set? <laughs> Everyone loves sets of threes, but like a like a two, three ingredients that usually work across landscapes, or is it really just you got to approach each of them differently? 
yeah, I think you have to approach each of them differently because they're all unique in, in different ways. But um, I think that the number one rule is is you need to engage with the people who live in that landscape and depend on that landscape and anything you design or implement has to be built in partnership with them. If you try and impose something because we want that, because Nestle want to communicate about that, it's not going to be successful. So <laughs> no matter what you want to achieve, engagement has to come first, proper engagement, and they have to see the value to them. And then you can build something good over time. And I think that's the other thing that I've learned is I'm quite an impatient person, but you have to be patient with this to, to make things, to build things correctly and to make them last. You have to be patient and do it the right way. Thank you. Okay, perfect. I can move over to Lorraine now. Um, I, I was quite excited about moderating this panel because we have a, a range of different voices. And if we're talking about landscape approaches um, and working together towards something, having different types of industries represented is very important. So um, we're really glad to be joined by Lorraine for this. Um, maybe if you have any reflections on the points made by Pet Guts and Connor so far, please, please do share those. But then overall, in your line of work, um, what are the challenges that you see in setting nature positive targets? Obviously, as a as a pharmaceutical industry or company, um, not part of the not part of the flag industry like our and Nestle are. But yeah, so just how how does it differ? And and would love to hear your your thoughts on how you're setting these strategies at GSK. I think for us as a as a different company, one of the things that has been important for GSA GSK as a science driven company is having science-based target for both for climate and for nature and the company made very ambitious commitments on both in 2020 on climate and nature as as Connor was saying the the nature agenda has been evolving rapidly but also progressively since 2020 when we were expecting the new biodiversity framework so what we have done with that is to evolve our approach as well as new guidance and new 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 elements and new knowledge is coming through. One of the main challenges, and, and I think this would be general for, for any company, is, and I'm sorry, Connor, but this, this will be just to help you rectify your sins from the past, as you put it earlier, is the fact that most people think we've done it for climate, it's easy, we can do it for, for nature, and it's completely different. The analysis and the approach you have to follow for for climate for nature is different to the approach for climate. Cli um, climate is seen as a general as a global phenomenon, and therefore you calculate your carbon emissions and you reduce that without having to to take care of where are those emissions happening. And nature is very localized; the impact happens locally. And inevitably, for us to be able to tackle nature impacts, you need to know the geographical location where that impact happens. And that is the first big challenge is to help the teams realize that we have to learn everything we have done with climate and start again and look at everything with a different mindset and a different approach. And the other really big challenge is the geographical data. The geographical data all the way up to the top of the supply chain where the interaction with nature happens, where the natural raw materials come from is very, very difficult. It's difficult for the food, for the food and, and drinks industry, but it's more difficult for the pharmaceutical industry because we have a lot more complex supply chains. For example, for us, 
the palm oil arrived to us as glycerin. And that is one we know, but we have a myriad of chemicals like that that arrive to us with a completely different name of the compound we use and we buy as the natural raw ingredient that gave origin to that compound. So having to, to understand all the, the supply chain or all the different chemical reactions that happened to a starch until it became citric acid is, for example, is quite quite a complex process, complex process for us. And it makes our work of that traceability a little bit more harder. It, has, it adds a completely different layer of, of complexity. It means that we have to be closer to our suppliers, that we have to ask more probing question to the, questions to the supplier than, than the normal companies would have to ask, whereas a food and, and drinks company will ask, what is where is this material coming from? I have to say, well, what gave place to this material? What were the reactions and the, the, the process you went through to arrive to this chemical that we are buying from you? That is before we can then think as to what is actually where in the world that material is coming from, where it originates in nature. So that is one of the biggest complexities for us. Thank you, Louisa. Yeah, it's always interesting to hear how, how things complement, but then also the differences between them and how you still are interacting very much. And maybe that, that is sort of lost in the grander, in the grander, grander picture. Um, I was just a quick note. Um, thank you to all for, for posting your questions and thank you for noting them to a specific speaker. It makes my job much easier <laughs> and makes sure that we can get through as many questions as possible. So keep putting your questions um, in there and I'll, uh, I'll try to get to them as soon as possible. Um, I just had, um, you mentioned some of the frameworks that you operate in, and it would be great to just pause on those quickly, um, especially within this framework of the webinar of wanting to define and, and how do we align with frameworks. Could you um, maybe explain a bit more which frameworks you're aligning with? Um, yeah. How are they helping you in your role at GSK? Why have you chosen those? Is there something missing from those that are already out there? That'd be great to hear. We are, we are using TNFD and, and the Science-Based Targets Network, SBTN. We are part of a 17 companies that are piloting the first Science-Based Target for Nature. So we are at the moment working through the process of setting water and land targets, which is the first round of this pilot of Science-Based Target for Nature. And we are also part of the pilot companies that have been working on the TNFD guidance, and we are also implementing TNFD. The reason why we use them both is because they complement each other quite well, the two frameworks. I I don't think there's anything missing. If you use them both, I think you have your science covered. The science-based target for nature provide the guidance, the repeatable process of assessing your impacts and dependencies and understanding where are your hotspots. And, and the TNFD provides the, the interpretation, the way of interpreting those results, th those results of uh, that SBTN gives you. If you have a dependency in this area, what happens if you don't address, address X, Y, and Z risks, which is what the TNFD, the TNFD framework sort of helps you, guides you through. So we are using those two. The, the SBTN is, is constantly evolving. Uh, Connor said through the through the through the, the the agenda, the nature agenda that is evolving, but also as new knowledge is evolving as well. Every day, there's new systems that are created on 
water impacts around the world or biodiversity impacts or land this uh, natural land distribution and deforestation so this the science on that is con constantly evolving and and there's still all not not the answers but the that framework has been very useful for us to help us assess what we know so far of our supply chains of our materials what of that is good enough to help us make decisions and put in place no regret actions and in which areas do we still need to, need to get more information more data from suppliers before we can say yes we are certain that that is a high risk for us so yes it's an evolving agenda but, but i think those two frameworks are are very complementary and very useful for companies last but certainly not least um john you've been listening to to all of the panelists um share their perspectives um i wanted to come to you last because as conservation internationally sort of have a different perspective from the three other panelists so kind of hearing from you if you had anything to reflect on from what the other speakers have said but then with your extensive work in the area of bio um biodiversity conservation i'm going to almost say conversation instead of conservation <laughs> as well, i guess <laughs> um but what are the key initiatives strategies that you're seeing that um work well in trying to define nature positive the definition of nature positive is really a, an important one and and i'm not sure everybody's totally satisfied with where we are now because the definition is is pretty high level and it's it's looking at how do we um the idea of nature positive is halting and reversing the loss of nature by 2030 and working towards full recovery by 2050. And so that's a pretty high level definition to work with. Uh, and as I said, I think that's probably unsatisfactory to a lot of people, but I would argue that it's really important to look at it as it's the directional guidance, it's the path we need to, to go on because we know that nature's in trouble. We see it, we hear it every day uh, around us in the headlines. We know that nature and the climate crisis are closely inter intertwined. You can't disconnect those. And so what's really important is we recognize that nature's in trouble. We all depend upon nature. And so we have to figure out how do we reverse, how do we turn this 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 tide? How do we transform uh, so that, again, we can can get on a pathway to restoring nature? And, and that means, again, looking at it as more of a journey than trying to define a really super precise definition of what is or isn't nature positive today. Uh, we need to look at it as a journey. We need to focus on getting as many companies, communities, governments on board with that journey as possible and immediately. And that means for companies, and it was already alluded to, that means shifting the mindset from, you know, in the past, a lot of the sustainability initiatives have been focused on, you know, practices and programs that, that reduce impact, reduce harm, uh, stopping deforestation. And that's all critically important. We know we need to do that. But what we also know, and again, this is, as Loriza you know, noted, we're learning more every day about how our natural world works and where we need to get it. So now we know very clearly that we've surpassed planetary boundaries. Just stopping negative impacts isn't enough. We need to think about how do we uh, restore and regenerate nature in key places uh, around the world. And um, as a company, if you accept that premise, it begs all kinds of really big questions. Um, and some of the biggest are, okay, if now we need to think about uh, positive transformation, positive impact. 
as a company, how much am I how much am I on the hook for, and where are those areas that I need to be positively impacting? And so, Lariza uh, and 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 Connor, thank you both for for mentioning SBN and for your involvement in SBTN because that's exactly what SBTN is working to to answer and try and define, um, you know, provide the clear guidance for where are those priority areas, how much is a company on the hook for, and 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 how to move forward on that. Um, so that work is evolving. Um, SBTN came out with some initial guidance this year. Um, as Lariza mentioned, 17 companies are going through the initial process now. There's going to be more guidance coming out uh, in, in, in 2024. Um, but I would also say that there's a lot of really good things that companies can be doing now based on the tools and the knowledge that we have. And so I reflect back on, on work we did with Walmart years ago, and they came out with their regenerative commitment in 2020 based on some analysis that we started late 2019 and early 2020, which look quite simply at uh, 13 key commodities that, 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 mm. that are essential to their business. We estimated the area of impact based on their sourcing volumes. We look for priority areas based on um, what we knew about their supply chains, which was a retailer in some cases wasn't much, uh, but then looking at key production areas for those crops and commodities, looking at biodiversity data, carbon data, ecosystem services, a range of other data layers to, to identify some priority areas for, to focus energy and investments and actions to start to try and move this, this you know, push this sustainability transformation, try to identify some of those no regret activities. And that was Again, that was before some of the, the tools and guidance uh, much more granular that we have now from SBTN and, and TNFT. Uh, and then to, to Walmart's credit, you know, and it, 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 they're taking action. That 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 analysis led to their commitment to positively impact 50 million acres of land, a million square miles of ocean. And they're taking action on that and working with suppliers and NGOs to try and hit those targets. Um, probably, you know, some of you on this call and 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 many others on the line. Uh, and they're helping start up new landscape, jurisdictional initiatives. They're supporting development of tools like the Landscale Initiative, which can help their whole supply network to advance with science-based targets initiatives and really help measure change in landscapes. Um, so they're taking action on those commitments based on the work done. Um, and, um, you know, I think the guidance now and the tools are only getting better, which is great. So SBTN, TNFD uh, are, are providing with um, sharper, more refined guidance. They're working together, which is also really important to try and align and harmonize those approaches. And uh, I think that's super important going forward. Certainly those tools are gonna refine and get better over time. And part of that refinement is, is gonna mean trying to simplify. But I, I kind of look at this where we are in the journey now. It's a bit like when you were in college and you had to write a big term paper, you didn't start with the executive summary. You have to write the whole thing first and then you come back and write the executive summary. I feel like, I feel like we're writing the whole thing now, trying to figure out the tools and then we're gonna refine and simplify these things over time. That's going to be a messy, difficult process, but but we have to go through it. We have no choice. We depend upon nature. So we've got to keep pressing forward and we've got to take action. And we have plenty of tools and knowledge now to start this transformation in key places that we depend upon. I had a follow-up question, but I thought the question from Tom in the chat worked quite well. Um, you spoke about the different frameworks. How are we making sure that the right stakeholders are at the table? Are all the right stakeholders being brought into these framework discussions and aligning on them? Um, is anyone missing? And yeah, how do we how do we get future additional stakeholders on board? It's going to be an ongoing challenge because speakers already alluded to it. 
these are conversations that are happening at all levels. They're happening at the global levels because we want standardized systems and frameworks so that companies everywhere know what to do and they're all trying to do the same thing. And yet you can't standardize biodiversity. There isn't, it's not fungible like carbon and there isn't a, a set of formulas that we can just apply everywhere. Nor can you, you know, you can't engage every key stakeholder at that global level. And so you have to have these landscape approaches. And you asked earlier, what are some of the core um, kind of uh, uh, pieces, if you will? And certainly one of the core pieces of a landscape approach is multi-stakeholder participation. And that is so, so critical because that's how these things have to work. Uh, we have to have, and I think Get said this well, you have to have those local stakeholders on board. You have to create that space for stakeholders to figure out and un understand where we're trying to go to shape, to shape that vision and to understand what's in it for them. Because even local stakeholders, you know, one producer is going to see it different from another producer from, you know, large versus small versus government. So these landscape approaches are super important to kind of creating that space for stakeholders to shape the vision, guide the vision, find and define their own business case, uh, and then hopefully work together towards those, those common goals. Yeah, and also uh, overall, like understanding what every organization's, I guess, goal is, is a big one. And these sort of conversations help show that. And I hope everyone who's listening understands, you know, from a GAR perspective, from a GSK, from Conservation International, from Nestle, what are the priorities? And then the idea is very much for this conversation to keep going afterwards. So I'll keep reminding everyone, but really do keep um, keep the conversation going and collaborate with each other afterwards um, in various ways of finding each other. So yeah, thank, thank you, John. Um, I think you're also your example on for Walmart was really good and it kind of mirrored a little bit of what um, Pagats was saying on like the, you called it no regret activities because a lot of people listening have probably a very high level um, strategy already in place, but a lot of them are just starting off. So where do you start? How do you get that internal buy-in from the, the get-go and then build from there um, into all of the more complicated parts that we've already outlined? Um, so yeah, I think maybe for the, I, I'd love to just stay on the, um, a little bit of the conversation on defining and, and aligning frameworks for a little bit. Um, I'd love to turn to Connor for this one, um, also aligned with a question by, from Pippa in, in the Q&A. But from your perspective, with the different frameworks that you're focusing on, maybe just a quick reminder to the audience what those are. Um, what is there anything missing from your perspective? How is that working internally at Nestle to focus on all of these uh, various frameworks? And then, yeah, how are you addressing perhaps the, the shortcomings of it? If there are any, SBTN is is how we're framing our, our work on this at a corporate level at the moment, right? So the science-based targets for nature, there, um, we're piloting that with with GSK and, and some other companies, um, and that's that's really starting at a really kind of macro level where it's looking across all of your operations, all of your sourcing. So what you're sourcing, where you're sourcing it from, how it's produced, all of these this type of information to prioritize where you should be you should be acting. Um, and then you're trying to understand your pressures, you're trying to understand the state of nature, and then therefore turn up with your priorities. Um, and I think that's that's a good process. I think it's been a very time-consuming and difficult process in some ways, um, just because it's the guidance itself is is hundreds of pages, right? It's it's quite a, a comprehensive um, document, and they're expecting you to cover. I think maybe my challenge with it is that it it has to be comprehensive and it has to be suitable for all sectors. So my frustration is that I'm doing all of these things that aren't material for my sector, but I still have to invest the time to do them to show them that they're not material. So like I, I would rather just say I know what's material, I know which ingredients, I know which parts of the world, and let's let's move straight to action. 
But no, they ask they ask you to, to be systematic in your screening of everything to really get to that point. And I think that's fair, but it's just, yeah, when you know where you're probably going to end up, it's it, it feels like a bit of a process. But I get that this has to be something that works for all sectors and, and we don't want anyone hiding any impacts and choosing to act in some areas and not others. So I fully understand the rationale. Um, and so that's the, the, the SBTN. I think what we'll get at the end of that is draft targets for us as a company in line with their requirements. So uh, targets on no conversion, sorry, deforestation free and conversion free, targets on reducing our absolute agricultural footprint over time, targets on prioritizing landscapes and setting landscape commitments at certain certain levels. Um, So yeah, at the end of the year, we should have them drafted. And then I'm going to have the fun job to bring that to the business, socializing them around and say, this is what's expected from us. Uh, what what should we do with this information? And I think that's that's my concern at the moment is that, that this is a lot of this is covered in our net zero roadmap already. A lot of it isn't. This a lot of this will be incremental, and that means incremental resources, incremental budget. Um, and I need to get a better feel for that before I, I knock on the the door and tell people that we should be doing that. So that's that's my next mission. So once I've quantified what the targets look like, what does the action look like? What's the cost look like? Um. So that's what's missing for me. I think on um, the disclosure framework, so uh, TNFD, I think they've made a lot of progress as well. And and what's good about that is it's trying to bring nature into the financial discussions. So under quantifying the, your your exposure financially and, and looking at your opportunities financially. So trying to bring nature into the financial discussion. I think it's progressing well. I don't think any our CFO has seen that standard yet or, or really kind of will will use that information in um, their decision making in the future yet, but that's what we need to happen. So that's maybe the gap is how we operationalize TNFD and make it into something useful, useful or usable by our financial colleagues to make choices that investment is the right thing in the long term. And then I think it comes down to the actions, right? So so really getting getting the ball rolling on the ground. So us partnering uh, within landscapes with, with partners or partnering with our suppliers to drive actions and change. There's lots of questions here for me because we have hundreds of projects around the world and different crops in different parts of the world. We heard earlier that nature is very local, right? The species that you should be monitoring are quite local. The technologies you might be using might be quite local. The incentives you might bring to communities to support you in that process will be very locally specific. Um, so yeah, how do we make that scalable in the long term, and how do we make it possible for companies just to plug and play into landscapes and for landscapes to um, to work right? So uh, we support fifteen, and that takes a lot of our team's time already. If we want to be part of a hundred landscapes in the future, how do we make that possible without timesing our team by twenty times? Right. So it's that's an interesting question as well. How do we scale this um, effectively? So yeah, I think there it's kind of the gaps that I'm seeing at the minute. Thank you, Connor. I think um, your point on how to align it with the needs and the um, even just how to communicate with the finance team, aligning it with their needs, their objectives, what are they looking for? I, if I if we were in an actual um, physical room, I think you'd get like a lot of yes or something like that from the audience. I'm sure a lot of different people that are um, that are listening in or tuning in are are probably wanting that answer. So whenever you get it <laughs> from from the, um, do share it with uh, with the network and the industry. Um, but yes, Pekats, you you raise your hand and then John, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Thanks. I, I I wanted to echo what um, uh, what Connor said on the. I, I think the problem for the CFO is that all the investments we do in 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 nature at the moment is not reflected positively in his balance sheet, and so therefore I think he's struggling to see 
which investments are worthwhile to do for the company uh, to also get the recognition from the financial world. Yeah, I think our our balance sheet is still very much looked into the pure cost and you know productivity kind of data and not so much what we uh, invest in nature. Um, I wanted to share, you know, maybe maybe one of the solutions we have been working on. Uh, I think we, in contrast to to Nestle and and also GSK, I think we are in the glorious position that we actually can really work directly on the ground because we have a, a, a large, you know, land bank. So our our land is is six hundred thousand hectares. Um, so we have plenty of opportunities to work there and. We are uh, working with um, around 400 communities, which are very close to our locations uh, as well. Um, and so where we have been quite successful um, is, is to define mini landscapes. Um, mini landscapes for us are areas which are, you know, 10, 15 villages, 150,000 to 200,000 hectares uh, in our surrounding. And, and what we like there is that we are very well understanding the local dynamics and the local um, uh, stakeholders um, um, and the local dynamics. And, and so mm -hmm. that allows us to make very targeted interventions which are aligned with local government uh, efforts and needs. And so they have, these have been quite successful and, you know, this journey is ongoing. But for example, what we have managed over the past few years is that uh, communities have agreed to conserve uh, 40,000 hectares of, of forest and peatland, which were connected with the conservation areas inside our concessions as well. Um, and, and so I think this is an approach. Um, I'm, I'm a bit um, warning to be too ambitious in landscape approaches to go big. I, I've seen many, many uh, projects failing because what is very difficult is always the social component. How in large landscape approaches can you make sure the communities are properly represented and you achieve FPIC uh, with the communities to make the uh, implementation successful in the long term? So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to share mini landscapes are, are a good way to go forward. And for sure, we are inviting potential partners uh, um, uh, to, to come with us on that uh, journey. Thank you. John, you had your hand up as well. Uh, thanks, Sonia. I wanted to pick up on uh, and gets kind of touch on as well this this importance of the social issues. But but kind of really got me thinking about like as these frameworks are developed and the tools are developed and the kind of the rules and regulations, if you will. Uh, I think it's really important for us that perfection cannot and should not be our measuring stick here, because I think it's 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 also important that we think we recognize that when we're talking about uh, uh, something like nature positive. What we're talking about is behavior change on a massive scale. We're talking about throughout companies, throughout supply chains, governments, communities, farmers, and and that's huge. And if you, I just got back from Brazil, and as Getz knows, we do a lot of work in Indonesia. And when you go out to the field, these conversations are not trickling down. And the incentives that we hope these conversations will generate are just starting to trickle down to a few actors. And so th that really needs to be our focus is how do we create systems that are gonna generate the incentives and the investments to get to the people and the places that we're asking to, who, who we're asking to change behavior. And what that means is change your production systems. Those are the production systems that sustain their livelihoods, that grow their economies, that, that build their communities. That's a big ask. And without the capacity, uh, without the incentives, that's not, that's not going to happen or it's going to happen very, very slowly. And so, again, I would really encourage us to think about 
forward progress. And, and it's not easy. And we really have this challenge of balancing rigor on the one hand and practicality and impact on the other. Um, and But as we go forward, I would really encourage us to think about like, how do we get the forward momentum and the progress and getting those incentives and those investments to flow? Because we really need to be thinking about how do we layer and align multiple sets of incentives and investments and build that capacity for governments, communities, for farmers at, at, at a large scale. It, rather than trying to create a perfect system that has no loopholes or for which nobody can cut corners. That's going to happen. And, and that will get flushed out over time. And if folks are going to try and take shortcuts, that's going to come out and, and we'll fix that. But in the meantime, we really need the action on nature now. And that means getting a whole lot more people involved in this journey. That means helping them find the, the value in it for them and getting the incentives for them to move. Thank you, John. Um, Lorenzo, do you want to say anything in addition as well? Yes, um, I wanted to pick up on, on two points. One of them was on more or less on what John was saying about not allowing or different way, not allow, allowing perfect be the enemy of good. And, and this is a bit related to a question you asked earlier, Tanya, how do we get all stakeholders around the table and how do we get more people to uptake these frameworks? And I think the answer to that is simplicity. And I know as we refine the process, the, the frameworks is go, are going to get simpler, I hope, that they don't end up getting more complex. But at the moment, the complexity, the nature, the nature issues are inherently complex. And if we apply the science in a too rigorous way that is going to rule out a lot of companies that do not have the resources to have the to, to put all all the scientific knowledge that this analysis required so i think that that word of cautious to whoever develops the framework is is one that that should be should be expressed because if we are not careful, it's going to happen like it happened with the climate process that it took, I don't know how many years for, for us to, to, for us as humanity, I mean, to work out how to calculate the carbon emissions and what is the right methodology. We do not have the luxury of that time for nature, so we need to, to start acting with the knowledge we have. That is one. And the other one is on Kono, what Kono was saying about just working with your CFO on how we use the TNFD framework and and how we convince them that we need to make these these investments. I think before we get to 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 get them to dip their hands in the pockets for for funding for investment, I think my approach would be to show how useful can these frameworks be to do the work that they have to do. The the remit is increase efficiency and reduce cost. And by looking at what the TNFD framework tells you in terms of which are the materials or the places in the world where you have a high impact on nature, but that doesn't give you a lot of revenues. You can make decisions just based on that. We can close these places or cut that down easily. And, and that's the start of helping our senior leaders realize that these frameworks can help the company improve efficiency as well as identify where we have to make um, investment in nature conservation. So there was a question from Tom, and maybe this is the right place to put it, slightly aligned with it. Um, but you mentioned the point on data as well in your opening remarks. And how 
within GSK with all of this varying data that comes through? Um, how are you focusing on, well, seeing which data is correct? Um, if how what is the parameters that you're setting for good data, and how are you measuring? Um, how are you making sure that all of these different data sources are complementing each other? Question from Tom as well. I think the the parameters for good data is understanding the supply chains. I sometimes in a in a company that has very complex supply chains and a lot of materials that can can be used and go into into any of the different products that we produce understanding the supply chain and understanding our suppliers and building a good close relationship with the suppliers is part of the part and parcel of improving our data improving our data data with the data sources which are those suppliers so building those relationships with them and helping them understand why we need x y and z data fields that they perhaps have never had to produce before, but also that we need them because they, they are the, the, the data fields that are informing our decisions. So that is one of the, the ways of ensuring a quality of the data. How, how do we know the data is good or not? Well, I think the SBTN has a, a really good guidance on, on the type of data that we need to be using and what makes the data good or not for the analysis and I think that that is probably our starting point and as I said improving our relationship with the suppliers and what was the other part of your question Tanya? I sorry I forgot. I think that sounds good sort of um, weighing out the different data um, yeah. um, where the data is coming from and how do you make sure what what does good data actually look like. Great I had um, this was also a question in the Q&A um, to you Connor with your focus on carbon and now moving a little bit more to including nature or not not newly including nature but focusing a lot on nature as well um are you taking any lessons from carbon frameworks that could be applied to nature frameworks if so what are they if not why not <laughs> i think there's things that are that we can learn from from carbon and nature but there's also like lessons that we should take in the opposite direction so maybe yeah so maybe one of the things would be um for, for carbon accounting, right? It's very much a value chain accounting approach. It's life cycle inventory accounting, where it's kind of you buy this ingredient from this field and your emissions come from there. So if you can only reduce your emissions if you address that specific farmer that's producing the palm oil that eventually ends up in your product. So that's it's very much like you have to have full traceability and segregation back to farm before you can really do action. Obviously there's, there's market-based approaches and stuff, but that's, that's the kind of central core of carbon accounting. I don't think we want the same for nature. What we want for nature is traceability back to sourcing region and partnerships within those sourcing regions to address nature, not like um, issues at, at more of a kind of a larger scale. So either uh, kind of a smaller scale, which would be multiple communities coming together or a larger scale, which could be a jurisdiction, right? That's that's really the approach I think that we want on nature. We don't we want to look field by field, like even within a farm, like we want to look the whole concession, right? And then the whole landscape that that concession sits in. And that's the scale that we need to address this on. Then the question becomes, 
okay, great, but we're not buying all of the palm oil from that whole landscape, right? So we're only responsible for a certain proportion of it. What does partnership look like? Is everyone around the table and is everyone happy to put their hand in their pocket to pay a certain fee to make that transition at that landscape level? Do, do we have the government support to make that happen at that scale? Because once you start talking at this bigger scale, the government becomes the most important stakeholder that can either make or break your, your project. And they're not always dependable, right? Let's they can change their mind sometimes, different voting cycles. So um that's one of the big lessons I think from climate is um climate is pushing us down this very kind of um isolated each for their own accounting approach, whereas nature needs to be much more collaborative um in how we address things. So that's and and, and it is that is the approach that's being taken by SBTN and that's that's very positive. One of the things that I'm struggling with is when I speak to my finance people, they want me to be able to demonstrate a return on their investments. For carbon, that's relatively straightforward because we know how much that project costs and how much carbon we're getting. For nature, there's so many different indicators that you can consider, which is the right one to show a return? Is there one that can show a return? How can we somehow show that our investment is causing the change that should be happening on the ground? Um, so I don't know if there's a lesson to be learned from carbon there, or it's just a, more of a challenge than than anything else. Um, and I think the other point that was made before, which is let's not get down into technical accounting and allocation discussions before the work's even begun. Let's start the work and figure it out as we go. Yeah, I'm completely with you on that. We just held our Future of Climate conference, and that was a big point of it as well. Um, let's not focus on having the perfect exact um, data ready, but rather just focus on the actual impact on the ground. Um, Pekka, I had a question for you, but please um, share if you had any reflections so far. You know, I just want to say, actually, what, what I like very much or what I like in carbon is that there is a, a real price and, and, and that makes it in, 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 in a country like Indonesia, it makes it much more easier to, to start a conversation because you can really put a price against your action. And then it's very simple to see, you know, does, make, does that investment make sense or, or essentially not, right? Until you overcome you know, that mindset barrier that you need to go beyond maybe pure financial uh, accounting. And and so I think that is something which I feel, you know, nature is such a big elephant in the room. And, and, and so I think what we now need to try to do in partnerships, in collaboration with research, NGOs, governments, is to pick these bits and pieces so we can, you know, focus and have some progress already achieved there while we are still refining the systems uh, um, for the for the midterm uh, uh, to be a bit then more you know structured, I think in the in the engagement. Great, thank you. I'm just taking out of time. This always happens to me. Um, it just flies. Um, the hour. There's still so, I've still so many questions on my list that would be good to go through, and 50 questions uh, basically from the audience. Um, but I I want to perhaps maybe if we round it out to focusing on those on the ground who are really the ones that we need to help that need to be included into the conversation from the start like we've mentioned and better communicated to them on on what we're looking for and, and how we can work with them and maybe just uh using a david's question and turning it to you john um all of these various frameworks that are coming out and i know we've mentioned this a little bit but how do we make sure that they are um um, how do you and your work in Conservation International and your and your experience with business, how are you aligning them with local requirements, with the local expertise, with the local knowledge um, to make sure, yeah, that, that they're better aligned with that? 
It, it has to be, and again, it's been said, but the work on nature has to include, it has to be bottom up. Um, and so we have to reconcile this kind of the top down and the directions and the mandate and the investments, but with a bottom up is how it's going to have to be kind of implemented and driven. So we're big proponents of the landscape and jurisdictional initiative. Um, and it starts with our own team members. I mean, our team members in the field are all local and, and nationals that are driving this work. You have to build these participatory platforms and programs that involve local communities, local stakeholders. It takes a lot of work to figure out okay, who's coming to the table and who's not coming to the table and why, and how do we create the conditions so that they can come to the table, they feel safe coming to the table. And that can mean getting these initiatives started, this can be a slow iterative process. You have to start somewhere. Um, and so, but we have to get them started and we have to create that space for stakeholders to come together in an equitable and participatory and just manner. And then, you know, we have to find that space. It was mentioned before, government's really critical in this and we have to kind of, make sure that we're helping them see the alignment with their own priorities and programs and targets and policies. And that's also, there's a good question in here on scale. I still think we need to do a better job of that because that's how we're gonna help these things scale. If we come in with a bunch of outside impositions and you need to do this and you need to do that, we could be looking at years of policy reform. If we can find the good policies and programs in these places that we want to transform and figure out how do we align those market incentives and investments with those, we can make a lot more, a lot more progress, a lot more quickly. And then again, if we're creating that space for that local participation so that stakeholders are on board and don't see this as an imposition or a block to their own ambitions, we're helping remove a lot of the own uh, of the barriers that we face for these things to, to move forward. But I think there's no shortcut to those, you know, local participatory processes. Right. Thank you. Before I make the closing, I just want to see Pat if you wanted to um, share any closing sentence or so. Yeah, I, I thought that very, very interesting in this discussion. Um, I'm, I'm sure we could have talked at least another hour or two, uh, no problem. I, I, I think uh, for, for me, it's clear, um, you know, um, we have some useful frameworks coming up, um, which, which really help to guide the discussion. Um, I'm sure there is you know, room to improvement, and and I fully agree. Right, let's let's not get the perfection into our way to start implementation. I can see from our side there are many many opportunities available to make a positive impact. You know, today, tomorrow, uh, get started, um, and 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 then you know we will learn uh, together. So yeah, thanks a lot again for the opportunity and and the interesting discussion. Thank you very much. Yeah, definitely a lot more conversations to be had. So um, please keep in touch with each other. And then if any, we're, we're continuing to run these sort of conversations in our conferences and other, if there's anyone listening or so that wanted to partner with us on something, um, please also get in touch. But yeah, a huge thank you to Gar and Getz and Andrew and the team on partnering with us on this one, driving these sort of conversations. Also to Lareza, Connor, John for, for your insights and to the 300 plus or 400 plus attendees who joined us live. And like Pagat said, there's a lot of conversations happening around climate and nature starting from today with COP. So thank you for tuning into this one. Thank you all and see you at the next one. Thank you. Mm -hmm.